hey, welcome to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes, and I am on team here with the Brentwood Baptist Family of Churches. My colleague, Paul Wilkinson, is with us as well. Good afternoon. And today, in, we are focusing in on the idea of soul care and how significant it is in these disciple-making efforts that we hope to see, that we hope to engage in in our everyday lives. And we're so thankful that Jesus invites us along into those disciple-making efforts, but we even see him model what soul care could be. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we are excited to talk about that with a special guest, and that is Brenda Keck. And so, Brenda, welcome to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. Thank you, Jason. It's a privilege to be here. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about you, and and then I'll come back behind that and ask again, and why would we ask you to talk about this topic with us? Okay, I will tell you a little bit about me and why I have come to care about soul care. Um, I have grown up in and around the church all of my life. My father was a pastor and then a missionary. I married a pastor, hmm. and um, we've been in and around full-time ministry for my whole life. And so I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to um, church life and spiritual life. And, um, and so um, particularly being in ministry ourselves, we are under a lot of stress. And, um, and how to take care of ourselves over the long haul um, is not something that I learned very well along the way. And so a lot of what I've come to care about and that I know about self-care and soul care at this point in my life, I kind of learned the hard way with some hard knocks myself. And um, my husband and I have been in ministry over 35 years and together have um, been through about three burnouts and some very debilitating depression and um, have spent more hours in the marriage therapist's office than we'd like to admit. <laughs> but all, a lot of that in retrospect was because we didn't know how to take care of our souls. Um, I also am a marriage and family therapist, and I work primarily with people in the church. And, um, and I see up close and personal what happens when people who um, particularly are in ministry, but really anyone who is um, seeking to grow spiritually, um, what can happen when they don't have an idea of how to take care of their own souls and how that impacts them both emotionally and spiritually. And so that's become a focus of my practice, both as a, um, a mental health professional and, um, and just in the work that I do. Really cool. And so I, just because I think it's cool, let, let, uh, let folks know where you guys are now, if that's, if that's okay for me to ask. Sure. Um, like where we live now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Yeah. We've lived a lot of different places. I think when I met you the first time we lived in Tennessee and we've spent a stint in Southern California for a while. And then this year we um, have moved again and we live in the Portland, Oregon area, actually just across the river in Vancouver, Washington. Mm, super cool. I love that area of the country. It's beautiful. Yeah. I wish I could go with you and drink coffee there. Uh... <laughs> yes, it is a, very fine place to drink coffee. It is a very fine place. I agree. 
I agree. Well, so you kind of have already answered it a little bit as to why we would ask you to, to discuss this topic with us. But another thing that you do, and I, I perceive that you do it really, really well, is you encourage uh, some of our missionary partners um, by engaging with them in the area of soul care and encouraging them to be uh, very conscious of soul care. And you don't have to talk in depth about that necessarily because so much of what you do in that is very private and obviously very specific to each of those people. But, but I, think, I think a lot of our listeners who happen to be connected with the Brentwood Baptist Family of Churches would probably be appreciative of hearing and even knowing that we do that. Yeah, um, it is such a privilege to partner with Brentwood Baptist. Um, they, you, we, I like to consider myself a part of Brentwood Baptist when I talk about this. Um, I've had the privilege of working with the missions department there for almost 10 years now. And I honestly, I don't know another church that, that does such a stellar job of caring for their missionaries. And so what that's translated like for me, um, you know, I've worked almost 10 years as a therapist, primarily in the missionary community. And very quickly, my specialty became trauma, recovery, um, burnout, compassion fatigue, and secondary traumatic stress. Because that's what I would see a lot in addition to a lot of the other um, things that you would see anywhere. But one of the things that began to happen to me, particularly in later years, is I just over and over would find myself sitting with someone and feeling just brokenhearted for them because what it would mean for their lives for them to get to a place of burnout or um, secondary traumatic stress um, and what it would mean for them and their families. And I would find myself sitting there thinking, this could have been prevented. They, they, they do not have to be here. And so over the last six years or so, I've just, I kind of transferred from being a trauma therapist, which I will always do, but um, I've really begun to transfer my focus into what I call preventative care, which is another way of saying soul care. Um, because I think um, a lot of that kind of trauma can be prevented if people are given the tools and the permission and the support to take care of themselves um, along the way. And so I've, I've become a champion of soul care um, along with still taking care of the traumas and other things that come my way. Very cool. Yeah, and, and trauma care right now, uh, by the way, kudos to Scott Harris because I think Absolutely. missions minister Scott um, initiated these types of conversations with you guys and he did this has been a vision of his and and i i would join you in just the kudos to him because he has really set the culture and provided the resources for um for creating preventative care with the missionaries associated with brentwood yes for sure and and you know it's interesting i think the trauma care piece which we can talk about maybe on another podcast which okay. probably would be really meaningful to do we need to we may need to have you back on we may need to have you back on to do that um but um i think the uh scott is has said a lot in the last couple of years a quote that i you may know who he got it from um but that that it, that trauma will be the evangelistic environment of the 21st century 
And yes, that's a Diane Langberg quote. There you go. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And um, so he is definitely proclaiming that. And I think he's right. I mean, I, I think the more, not only just elements of, of like even, even our family and some other families that we're close with and the way that, that as they are now moving into the current season of their adulthood, looking back mm-hmm. at different traumatic elements from their earlier lives. Mm-hmm. So you've got that piece of it, but you also certainly have the more news type of, uh, yes. of, of, of environments from refugees to mm-hmm. uh, the different war-torn areas of our world. And, mm-hmm. and then, as you said, even the secondary um, traumatic stress elements. But yeah. I think, I think, um, I think it's interesting and I think that's definitely worth revisiting another time. I hope we get to do that. Yeah, I would love to do that. So, so what is, what is soul care? Like how, how do you define soul care? Cause to some, I was, I, was, I thought you would, I thought you would chuckle at this. <laughs> I was, I was with a, a, a fellow pastor um, about three weeks ago and uh, he leads, I won't say who it is, but he leads a, a pretty significant network, pretty, and when I say significant, I just mean a, it involves a large number of churches. Mm-hmm. And he had never heard the term soul care. Mm-hmm. And so if, if he hasn't, I, mm-hmm. I would venture to say there are probably some people listening even that maybe haven't heard it much. Although I think we talk about it more as a church family than maybe other churches do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. talk about that. What What is soul care? Well, that is a really great question to start with. Um, if you just did a quick Google search of soul care, um, I think two things would become apparent. Um, one, it isn't a term that's commonly used, and nearly every hit that will come up when you Google that is coming out of the faith community, which mm-hmm. I think is just kind of interesting. Um, The other thing that you will notice is that if, say, you get, I don't know, 500 responses to that that Google search, no two of them will be the same. Hmm. And so there is a huge divergency of idea of what soul care means, that it's an undefined term, actually. And, um, And so... Um, I think it's a great question to start with, because if we're going to talk today about soul care, it probably would be a good idea for us to identify and define for our listeners what we're, what we mean by the soul care. Sure. What I find is that whoever's talking about it, what, you know, when you look it up, whoever's talking about it, they will craft a definition that um, highlights the particular thing that feels important to them that they're trying to promote. Um, and I'm just like everybody else. My definition is about the things that I feel like are important, <laughs> but I think it's, it's helpful to identify what that is because it really is a term that is undefined and everybody uses it in their own way. Yeah. So, so do you want me to tell you what mine is? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. So this, and so what you'll find is that mine, just like everyone else is grounded in, um, in my background, my training, and my experience. And so you're going to see um, two things reflected in the way I define soul care. One, it's going to have elements that are influenced by my education. Um, and so it has elements um, of interpersonal neurobiology in it. It has um, 
components in it that we know from the research on resilience and wellness. And so I'm a researcher, and so the, that kind of information influences how I talk about self-care or soul care. And then I also just have a really strong desire to make it practical for people. And so those are the things that influence the way I define it. And so the definition that I work from is that I see soul care as the work of restoring, protecting, maintaining, and nurturing our God-given personal resources. And so, um, so some of the components you see there, first of all, is I think we all have been given resources. Everybody has a body. Everybody has a personality, life experiences, relationships, emotions, gifts. And so I believe that we have certain responsibilities regarding those resources. And, um, and so for us to be who God intended us to be, for us to serve the kingdom like we were created to serve, then we have to nurture and protect and take care of the resources that have been given to us to do that. And so that is kind of my concept um, that I work from in, um, when I talk about soul care. Um, that's, so, that's so good. And so, so what... It not just in the context of disciple making, but just for mm -hmm. humanity's sake. Right. Like what? Why? Why is it so important? And I don't mean to ask what for some people would probably be an an obvious question, mm -hmm. and 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 a question that they might think, well, that's a dumb question because like it, certainly it's important, but why is it important? Like, I think, I think the answer to why is so obvious that we often miss it. Right. I think, yes, I agree with you. Um, and so I would answer that from two aspects. I would say I'm going to answer it from the humanity standpoint, and I'm going to answer it from the, um, as believers, then it, I think that there's another component to that. And so, um, from the humanity standpoint, this is what we know from the research on resilience and wellness, that when we um, have a practice of soul care, and I do have ideas about what that looks like and what that means, um, that the result of that in a person's life are things like increased joy, increased peace and clarity, improved relationships, physical health, less disease, um, we're in a position to give out and, and be more altruistic in serving to other people. We are productive in our lives longer. We're more resilient when hardship comes and we grow increasingly toward kind of who we're supposed to be in this world. What happens when we don't do soul care are things like burnout, depression, anxiety, exhaustion, cynicism, a loss of heart, compassion fatigue, health problems, relationship problems. So we do know that just from that humanity standpoint, I think another aspect when you think about it as, when you think about it as being believers and followers of Jesus, you know, you think about what is the greatest commandment? Let's just go back to the basics here. And it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor. So I don't, know about you, but when I am operating in a state of exhaustion and burnout and I'm depleted, um, I'm, I'm not a very loving person. 
the, that kind of loving and serving other people comes out of a place of having resources. And so I think that as believers, it's important that we do self-care because it is how we remain available to fulfill what God's called us to do on this earth long-term. And it's the thing that keeps us in a position to love God and love others well. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, I think the way I've heard it phrased before talked about, take it back to a garden of Eden perspective, right? I mean, we, Mm -hmm. it's, it's our, it's our fears, our insecurities, our, our woundedness, our, Mm -hmm. so many aspects of, of our, of our, of, of what is, what is the result of choosing more than knowing the goodness of God, right? Which is what mm-hmm. really eating of the tree of knowledge is, is mm-hmm. that choice to know good and evil, not just good. Mm-hmm. And, and then the weight of that, right? The weight of that, that bears on us so heavily. And I think, I think, we shortchange it's 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 just amazing it isn't even about being introverted or extroverted Mm-mm. but we shortchange people in our relationships when we don't bring all of ourselves we do and we do. and i think i think like what you're saying i think soul care it, it i think it's exactly why jesus said you know love god love people and had it in that order is because if we understand how loved we are by God who has invited us mm-hmm. to love him, if we understand that we're fully loved mm-hmm. and we understand that we're now free yeah. to give love fully. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's incredibly important and you're right. I think soul care is that ongoing consistent rhythm and practice that mm-hmm. allows us to remember that freedom that allows us to feel the fullness of that love and goodness. And, and, and when we don't do that, or we're at a pace that we never pause to remember it, mm-hmm. I, think it I think it hurts us big time. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being open with us, um, talking about how when our soul care is out of whack, we see these um, inappropriate for the situation reactions. Mm. We see the same thing in ourselves, uh, whether it's, mm-hmm. I get, harsh with family members or snapping at group leaders, the very people you love the most and care for the most. Yeah. Oh, you're acting in ungodly ways towards them. So I really appreciate that uh, from you. And uh, to to go the next step on that, what are some ways you you combat against that? Are there any particular practices that you find especially, um, you know, Christ centering for you? Oh, that's a great question. And I do think, um, well, you're hitting up on something I think it's really important, in, and I'll answer that for me. But what I think is really important about what you're asking is we are all, we all have different personalities, and we all kind of have different internal worlds. And one of the things that I think is really critical is that we know ourselves well enough to know what we need. Mm-hmm. And so I can tell you what I know that I, I need. Um, I'm a bit of an introvert, but I also really need interaction with people. Hmm. Um, And I I really love interaction with people. Um, And I'm pretty intuitive as a therapist. I'm very engaged emotionally with the people around me. And one of the things that I found that is if I do not carve out regular times of solitude for myself, 
I can get really lost. It's like I can even be serving in ministry um, and it feels great and I'm doing great, but it's like I, I can really forget who I am if I am not um, having regular. And so when I, and let me define solitude for me, there is this idea of taking days of solitude and retreats of solitude, but I'm really talking for me more of a daily um, that it, man, if I have, if I don't get up and have just quiet um, and sometimes depending on what's going on in my life, I have to do a lot of journaling. It's like I've got to do a brain dump to just still my soul and still my brain so that I can just be still and hear and receive from the Lord the things that I need for that day. So that, that to me is a critical piece. But I think the important thing is that different people have to know what it is they need. That's good. So in your, um, in your expert opinion, in your experience, how do we go about that? Because I mean, I know a lot of yeah. different personality assessments. There's some overlap, some yeah. are different, know a lot of spiritual gifts assessments, et cetera. Are there any tools in particular that you think could help, uh, help us understand who we are? Well, that's a great question. I think, um, I, I, two things come to mind when you ask me that. I think one is there are general practices that we just know um, build resilience and wellness and, um, and buffer against um, hardship. And so I would say, and I can actually, I don't know, I can share some of those with your readers or I can yeah, even sure. send it to you and you can put it on a link somewhere where they could upload. I've actually developed a checklist mm. that covers different areas of life that can be used as a tool to kind of look and gauge, okay, here's where I'm doing really well. Because it, we know that like there's different areas of life that, um, that constitute wellness. Um, and so we can look at those different areas of life and kind of gauge how am I doing in those different areas? How am I doing in the physical area? How am I doing relational areas? How am I doing in spiritual areas? How am I doing emotional? We like to separate those out like they're all separate and we're like, what does physical have to do with soul care? Well, it has everything to do with soul care mm -hmm. because those different areas of life, we are holistic people. And if we're not addressing kind of our holistic needs, then it's very hard to have holistic wellness. And so we can, so one of the things is if in those areas of life, you don't know what health looks like, then I would say educate yourself to know what general health looks like. You know, some of us didn't grow up in environments that I can just intuitively go, oh, what does it look like to be emotionally healthy? Well, if I didn't grow up with a model of that, I, I don't even know what I'm shooting for. I don't know what emotional intelligence is. I don't know what healthy emotional habits are. And so I think educating ourselves on what those are, and then it's experimenting um, and trying different things and noticing what really brings benefit and what is life-giving to me and what isn't so helpful. Um, and I really like that you said experimenting there because that almost assumes that we won't always be successful at this. Right, and that we might try some things and find that they're not, you know, that one thing is more helpful than another. Um, and so I do think that experimenting is, is a good way. And I think there's a lot of tools out there um, to help us know ourselves better that basically it, it kind of just 
maybe makes your experimenting more folk, but go, go more quickly and it helps you know. For instance, if, if something as simple as you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. Um, so an introvert and an extrovert are going to need different components. Both introverts and extroverts need time with people and need time alone. But those times mean different things to them and, and work different ways internally for them. A super strong introvert does need to be with people. But that is a giving out for them. And when they, it's time for them to recharge their battery, they need solitude. That might work the opposite for someone who's an extrovert. And so um, you, I need to know that when I'm starting to feel depleted, what I need is solitude. Mm. Somebody else needs to know, well, what I need is to go run 10 miles. Or what I need is to have lunch with my best friend. So we have to experiment and know what those things are so that when we start feeling the depletion or when we're creating a plan of regular care, that we know what to include in that. That's really good. I think, I think my daughter, my daughter, Katie, she's 15. She, we were having a conversation just the other day about that, that kind of self-awareness and, mm -hmm. you know, because she, we were, it was the context of just some, some things going on in her life. And, and I was just encouraging her, you know, part of your growing will be understanding that self-awareness to be able to say, man, I need to, I need to hit pause here. And, and you know, here I am telling her that knowing how much I still need to learn about that. <laughs> but, but I think, um, I really agree with you. I think it's a gift that we can encourage each other in to mm -hmm. to increase self-awareness it's why we need to bring ourselves fully to each other um, in relationship yeah. to to help learn that yeah you, you were op open in your uh in your introduction of yourself about some some of the ways that you and your husband learn learn the hard way. um yeah and you know what what you don't have to tell those experiences by any means. That's not really what I'm asking, but, but what, what were, what were your responses from a soul care perspective as you learned and grew in that self-awareness and even that awareness of who you are as a, were as a couple? Right. That's what, a great question. And I can, you know, I will, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book and I'm glad to share any of my experiences, but I think what might be helpful for here is I think, there were some thought processes and I'm going to just share some of my thought processes and maybe some of the reasons I wasn't doing soul care that I had to grow through and learn to do soul care because it ended me up in a bad place. Yeah. And I think so. Um, so one of the, the first things was feeling like, um, like I didn't have a right. I, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't grow up in an environment where soul care was really talked about. Um, and it's almost like I felt guilty. I felt selfish. I felt like, um, and I kind of waited for other people to give me permission to take a break or to, um, or to take care of myself in some way. And, um, and so, and a part of that was, I didn't, I love what you're saying about how you're helping your daughter know who she is because I really didn't know who I was either. And so um, I didn't know what I needed. 
And so I would kind of wait around for my husband or someone else to tell me I needed to take a break. And also what that did is because I didn't really know who I was or what I needed, I was kind of, I didn't have a good um, boundary muscle in terms of saying no to other people. So I was just kind of at the mercy of what other people asked me to do. And, and so even if it was like piling on and I really didn't have the resources to keep doing it, I thought because someone asked me, I should do it. And so that, that got me in a burnout place pretty quickly because um, and what I had to come to learn is that other people can't know what my resources are. And other, I can't wait and trust that other people um, can know what I can and can't do. I have to take the responsibility of knowing um, what my resource level is and what I can do and, and what I can't do. And so an interesting thought process that had to really shift for me was to, to stop looking at my personal resources as it's selfish for me to take care of myself. And I had to shift it to a more, I have a responsibility to steward. It's a mm -hmm. stewardship issue. And, and one of the convicting things about me was realizing at some point that if I feel selfish taking care of myself and um, providing what I need to flourish and be strong, then that is a signal to me that I think I own something that I actually don't anymore. Mm. As a follower of Christ, I don't belong to me anymore. My, my body doesn't even belong to me anymore. I'm crucified with Christ. Everything I have is his now. So if I'm feeling selfish about taking care of my body, that's a signal to me that, oh, I guess I forgot who that belongs to. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm driving somebody else's car, I'm going to take care of it differently than I might. You know, I can abuse my car, <laughs> but if it's somebody else's, I'm going to be a lot more careful. And it's like, okay, let's remember who all these resources belong to. And they're not mine. And they're gifts to me. And I have to, and so that was a huge shift for me in, in learning and being willing to get beyond that thought of it's just selfish and instead see it as it's a responsibility of stewardship that I have. Um, I think, so in the personal boundaries, learning to say no um, and get past the anxiety that would bring up in me to set boundaries. Um, and, and learning to ask myself um, the question, learning this concept that every, every yes is a no. So every time I say yes to something someone asks me to do, I'm actually saying no to something else and making myself go through the discipline of asking myself, what are you saying no to, to say yes to this? And making much more intentional decisions about things. Um, no, so those were a couple of, yeah, that's just a couple of the things that I had to do to change. It's really good. It's really good. And I think that that leads well to the next question, which is somebody, somebody listening once, you know, they affirm and agree, yes, this is super important, but I've never done it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like what, what might, I mean, I know self-awareness and even taking, I think it would be meaningful for you to send that link. Yeah, I can certainly post it in the notes of the show and, mm -hmm. and of the podcast. And mm -hmm. um, so certainly they could look at some of those resources to become more self-aware. Yeah. Um, 
but but what are some other first steps and and and, and then I'll yeah. have a follow-up question to that too but what are some other first steps okay so I want to back up maybe a little bit to the 30,000 foot level <laughs> of soul care and and just to answer this a question of it's, it's like what is the big picture of what soul care is what is this thing and I go back to my definition that it's this idea of restoring um, and nurturing different parts of ourselves. And when I, when I just step back and I think of humanity and a whole person, I think, what is it that's needed for a soul to be healthy or strong? Um, there's kind of three categories that come to the top for me. And one of them is restoring any injured or diseased parts of our soul. Um, doing things to build up and prepare for um, hardship that's going to come our way. So resilience, building resilience, and then just providing an environment for overall health and growth. Mm -hmm. So I think that this providing an environment for health and growth is the part that we normally think about um, when we think, and then I think most people talk about. And I want to bring the others to the table because one, um, I think that particularly the, the big picture of um, restoring, that's an important concept. Not that we would talk a lot about that today, but I think it's an important concept to understand. All of us reach adulthood with, like you were mentioning, we get to early adulthood and, and we all have things in our history that um, are still impacting us as adults. And so I, I think of those as injured or diseased kind of parts of our soul. And if we don't address those, what happens is then when we start trying to implement self-care, those aspects of ourselves can actually prevent us from doing the things that build resilience and that help us provide the environment for thriving. And so... That isn't actually, so that to me is the lot of the big picture of soul care. And, and so there are, also I can send you a, to put in the link a little checklist because then everybody's like, how do I know if that's me? And so I can also send you a little checklist for that. That's like, okay, if these are things that are reoccurring and happening over and over in your life, that's probably an indication that there's things going on that, are, that you need to address before you're going to be very successful in doing the things that can provide for resilience and thriving in your life. And so the good news about resilience and thriving um, is that a lot of the things that we do to build resilience and that we do to provide favorable environments, they overlap a lot. And so the checklist that I can give you a link to will, um, of all of the things on that list that, um, you can use to kind of make a plan for self-care. All of them are coming out of the, um, the research on resilience and, um, and wellness. And so, but it, they overlap. And so, um, so somebody who's wanting to take next steps, I think um, just an overall principle is that any living thing needs a rhythm of um, just a rhythm of care. And so what I mean by that is that there's got to be a, um, every, every living thing needs fuel. It needs to take something in. 
It needs to expend energy or breathe out, and it needs rest. And so when you're thinking about those different areas, um, physical, emotional, spiritual, that's kind of a paradigm to keep in mind that you have a, a regular practice of assessing. And it could be a little bit every day, once a week, once a year. And I think that you mentioned that maybe you'll do a different podcast one day on how do you set up rhythms of care. And so, um, and the thing that you want to stop in the assessment, like, is what do I need to take in? Am I giving out? Do I have a place to breathe out in those areas? And do I have, um, and do I need to rest? And so it's a rhythm of assessing, identifying, and then providing whatever is needed. Um, and so I don't know if you want me to go over some of the specific practices that are on the checklist, or if you just want to make that checklist available to people to look at. I'm, I'm happy to discuss specific things on there. Um, what do you think would be most helpful? Well, I mean, I think I I think it, I think it would be helpful if you gave a couple of examples from the checklist. Although I think if we put the, the list, people can certainly go to it. But I think it's always helpful to hear from someone that has certainly got, yeah. in my opinion, a lot of a lot of uh, not only wisdom to share on it, but even you know experience mm -hmm, some practical things. So there's four major areas that a lot of it can be broken up into. And I've mentioned those, the, the physical, um, I call the heart or the emotional and cognitive, relational and spiritual. And so um, I'm going to hit some that I think are particularly poignant and, and important. Um, so in the emotional and cognitive, things like, um, just awareness of emotional experience. So that's something as simple as being able to name your emotions and, mm -hmm. and um, process them in some way and express them. Um, and so that could be a daily practice of journaling. Now, some people are going to hear that and they're going to be like, well, yeah. Other people are going to hear that and they're going to go, I don't know what I feel. I don't know. I don't have names for my emotions. And so I would just want to say that wherever you are in that, it's fine. And so, but if you are at the place where I don't know how to name my emotions, I don't know what they are, then that's okay. That just tells you where your next step of growth is. But healthy emotional being is that you're able to identify emotions, you're able to um, name them, you're able to express them appropriately and process them. Um, you're able to self-soothe yourself back into a state of well-being when you feel distressed and have ways of doing that. Um, you have certain times where you play on a regular basis. Um, one that I love in this one because it is so powerful. We know that, um, so when the research on resilience is interesting, there are, we've, we've identified different things that contribute to resilience. And we've identified that some of them are inborn traits. Some of them are things that we learn through our family systems growing up. Well, that can be a bummer because you don't have you you have no control over either one of those. But the last one are things that we choose to learn and foster and know ourselves, and we have a hundred percent control over that. And the awesome thing is that it doesn't matter how we get the skills; um, the benefit to us is the same. And so, an example of this is optimism. And so, optimism is the belief that generally 
we're going to experience good outcomes in life. And so that comes really naturally for some temperaments. They're just optimistic people. Others have to really practice that, that, that noticing and noting that things work out well. It has to become a discipline for them. Um, not allowing our minds to just go to catastrophe um, when we see something coming up that maybe we feel anxiety about. It's like, okay, we can acknowledge that bad things could happen here, but then learning to discipline yourself to say, and some really awesome things could happen here too. Could go either way. And so the great news is whether you have to really discipline yourself and learn how to be optimistic or whether that comes naturally for you, doing that has the same benefits to build resilience either way. Um, I think the other one is in relationships. And um, so one of the things we know from the research is that cultivating three to five relationships with people who are highly supportive to us is critical. Um, one of the longest standing research projects um, out of Harvard, um, over 79 years it has gone on. Wow. But and they're just looking at what are the things that cause people to do well in life. Um, it's a very fascinating study. I won't take the time to go into it, but what that has found of all the things they studied over several generations of these families and they were taking they were comparing a group of ivy league young men to a group that were in a very very rough part of town in low education there was one differentiator that had be by far was the highest predictor of who over time did well into old age and it was the people that in their 50s had strong relationships that was it Education didn't matter, income level didn't matter, the thing that mattered were relationships. And so, um, so again, if you grew up in a system that didn't teach you how to have healthy relationships, that may be an area that you have to educate yourself a little bit on, so what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, and maybe relationships are not serving you well if you don't have healthy relationships. And so I think, um, Part of what the checklist does is if you look on your and you're like, wow, I not only can I not do these, or am I not doing them, but I don't even know how. Um, to not become discouraged by that, but just to realize, okay, it's just giving you a template then to know, okay, this is something I need to learn more about and find ways to move forward. That's really so, good. Yeah, see, that's that practical part. I to me, it, it's just really important to me that it's a practical thing that people can take tangible next steps. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I don't want to get completely sidetracked with, with this question, but it makes me want to ask this question. How, how, how much experience have you had with the Enneagram? Mm. And, and how has that, and if you do like it, is it, is it the kind of tool that can help people become more self-aware, become more honest with themselves about what creates rest and resilience and restoration and some of those various rhythms that that um would even allow them to know how they're seeing how they're feeling those kinds of things you know i think any tool that gives us self-insight can be really useful and helpful and i know that a lot of people have found that to be true about with the enneagram um, also with the um, Myers-Briggs or other personality typology type things. 
Um, I think anything that gives us insight in terms of our motivations and um, just begins to give us um, a better understanding of what drives us, I think all of those are really helpful um, and, and begin to help us understand why we do the things that we do. And, um, and so the more we understand about ourselves, the better we can care for ourselves. You know, I think about the verse in Proverbs where it says, above all else, it's pretty high priority, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. And to me, I think, so how do we guard our heart? If you're given responsibility to guard something, say you, you've given the responsibility to guard a building, well, the first thing you've got to do is know about where are the exits, where are the entrances, where are the weaknesses, where, where you know, we need to know all about the building before you can take care of it. So I, it's the same way. So any tool, to answer your question, I think any tool that gives people more self-insight and understanding in how their internal world and emotions are working is really helpful. That's good. Yeah, I've found it to be somewhat helpful. Um, mainly just in in helping people understand how someone else might see mm. themselves and might see the world. I think it's been helpful in that way. Yeah, you're really hitting on another real value to those tools. And that is not only does it give us self-insight, but it gives us um, a deeper understanding to how other people operate and think differently than us, which enhances the relationship aspect of this. Yeah, I agree. And and that's a good segue for this next question. I mean, like, like I'm going to make a statement and I'd love to get you to react to it. And okay. I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced over the years that the more we learn how to communicate the gospel to ourselves, yeah. the more we learn how to even let the the identity and that Jesus has so graciously given to us and secured through the cross, the more self-aware and Jesus aware, if you will, mm-hmm. that we ourselves become, the better we are as disciple makers with him. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that statement. Um, you know, I don't, it's an interesting thing because it's kind of hard to put words in, put words to it, but it's a very different experience as maybe a disciple let's say. When you're sitting with someone um, who knows who they are and is really at peace with who they are and is pouring into your life from that place, yeah. um, then it is when you are sitting with someone who really is disconnected from their own self. Um, and, and so they're interacting with you from just a different place. I don't know if that's even making sense. No, it is. But, but when you know yourself and, and just, you just stated that so beautifully of what happens when we just, we, we learn to be at peace with ourselves in who God's made us to be. And, um, and we, that identity and that connection with ourself and with God is just genuine and real, then we're connecting with other people from a real different place. 
when we're disconnected from ourselves because we don't know ourselves, um, we're detached from our own emotional experience, it makes it really difficult to connect with God. And, and it makes it difficult to connect with other people in a really meaningful way. So I think the degree to which we do that, which is a process that we're always growing in, but the more we grow in that, I do think that the more powerful connection and ministry we can have. I know one phrase that I, I know that um, I have stated before um, that you may have heard is one of the reasons I'm passionate about this is that I, my belief is that as ministers, our ministry will never be healthier than we are as individuals. And so I think it goes along with what you're saying that you're describing a person who has done things to, to foster emotional health and soul care, um, and they do have healthier ministries and a deeper impact on the people that they are discipling. It's good stuff. I mean, I think, yeah, and I think for those that are, for those listening, and and I just want to make sure they connect what what you just said, and that is, you know, Soul care isn't just about me. No. I mean, even in your definition that you gave, the the implication is that purpose with God is at the heart of this, right? Like we mm-hmm. we've been given and invited in been invited along into this purpose mm-hmm. with Jesus, this uh, you know, this disciple making life, this abundant life. Mm-hmm. Which I I think abundant life is a life giving life, right? Like it's a yeah, yeah. You know, and I think I think to be life giving, we 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 have to be able to maintain a life giving um, rhythm that's life giving mm-hmm. into us as well as life giving through us. And I think that's why soul care is so important. And yet, we've talked about this on some of the other podcasts we've done with regard to Sabbath. You know, it it's, but it's just it just it confounds, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know that confounds is the right word. I don't understand why soul care and Sabbath is so difficult for us to prioritize, when we know good and yeah. well how much we need it, right? Like I mean, I just, well, yeah, we need it, and we're commanded to do it. I mean, the number of verses that command us to take a Sabbath is mind blowing, but it is absolutely counterculture. And I think we have absorbed in the church a cultural value. We wear exhaustion like a badge of honor. Yeah. And, and who do we reward and who do we recognize? Even in the church, a lot of times it's the people who are compulsively overworking. Yeah. And we, and we give honor to that. You know, we don't normally give out awards to people who are, um, saying no to be on non-committees because they have doing good soul care. <laughs> yeah. And and I do think that's shifting and I think, and I'm loving what you're doing because I do think that there are voices rising up in the church now, like, like you're doing right now. They're saying, hold on, we're, we're missing something here. And so I totally resonate with what you're saying on a personal level because I can't do the most basic part of what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christ follower in loving people and other, I don't have a prayer for doing that. If I am not doing soul care, I don't have it in me and I am not a very loving person when I'm exhausted. 
and and I have no resources. I can't do it. Well, and here's the challenge I would give, and I sometimes I hesitate to give this challenge to people because I think even it can get co-opted into our exhaustion culture, right? But mm-hmm. but I think I really do think Jesus invited the twelve guys he invited along with him. Yep. I think he invited them into soul care rhythms with him. Absolutely. You know, I mean, even he paused, even he would stop the scriptures say several times to go yes. be with the father or to go be alone. Yes. And, but On a regular it's, basis. It's crazy how often he did that and asked them to come. He did. He pulled them into that. Right. And he and did so, it at the expense. You know what? He walked away and there were, he didn't heal everybody. That's right. He, he left ministry work undone to go do that. That's right. Yeah, Mark 1's a prime example of it. I mean, Peter tells them that morning, they're lined up for you, Jesus. Yeah, like, let's yeah. go back. And he says, no, it's time to go to the next city. And he'd already gone out that morning to spend time alone with the Father. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think mm-hmm. Matthew 14, you know, he, he, he invites them. Now they end up feeding 5,000, right? Talk about ministry exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But even still, he sends them out alone in the boat before they encounter the storm mm-hmm. and take a mm-hmm. breath. And I think you know, how often he invites, and I think that's a challenge to us. Like, like let's don't miss that if we can, can get, if we can find some victory and some success in healthy soul care rhythms, it gives us this really beautiful and countercultural opportunity mm-hmm. to invite those yet to believe into Jesus-centered mm-hmm. soul care rhythms with us. And again, sometimes I hesitate to give that challenge only because I don't want that to become the new way to get exhausted. But You know, I appreciate what you're saying because I think another reason I see people not doing soul care is is not accepting like personal limitations. Yeah. And, and we all have limitations. Um, and so you give them a challenge like this. And so they start trying to add now, okay, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And now I'm going to add, I'm going to take this checklist that you're going to put on your link and I'm going to start trying to add self-care on top of it. Yeah. And, and so my challenge, I would, I would add on to your challenge is that as the Lord, you know, brings that to, you know, the Lord is convicting you about stewarding the resources in a better way. I think the question you have to put on the table is what am I going to cut out so that I can do this? Mm. What, you know, if this, if I'm going to say yes to this, what do I need to say no to? And so trying to add this onto an already exhausted overextended life is not going to be helpful. So, so as we're wrapping up here and and by the way, thank you. And I mean, big time for the time that you've been willing to, to spend with us on this. I mean, as we wrap up here, what two 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 things? One, if I, I think I think you are who I heard this from the first the first time, and that is if if we don't look out for our own soul care, mm-hmm. who will? Mm-hmm. I think I think mm-hmm. it was you. It could have been Dwayne Hammock, but I think it was mm-hmm. you um, who who said who asked that yeah. question and. Yeah. You know, I mean, just unpack that for a minute. I encourage those that are listening, like, like you've already said. I, I, I just want to come mm-hmm. back to it because I think it's that important. Yeah. It isn't selfish to do this. It is not selfish to do this, and 
And I would almost say, I don't know as it goes too far, but what I want to say is that it's almost, it's irresponsible to not to do this. Mm. And so I, a conversation is coming to mind um, of a missionary conversation I had. Um, it's a person I'd worked with for quite a while who had trouble with soul care. And um, we'd worked on it a little, a little while and she called me one day and we were talking and she was saying how excited she was because the pastor of her church had come to her and said, um, you know what, you have been working too hard and I think you need to take some days off. And she just was so excited and I was just quiet and she was, and it's like, she, it hit her and she was like, I shouldn't have waited on him. Should I have? I was like, exactly. Mm. You know, why are you celebrating that somebody else made that decision for you? saw you getting so exhausted that they intervened. Um, and, part, and it goes back to feeling like we have a right and not taking the responsibility ourselves. And so it is easier to wait for somebody else to tell us, for a spouse or a boss or someone who's discipling us. But they don't know. You know, nobody else knows what I need. God told me to guard my heart. He didn't say, above all else, guard your husband's heart. That's his job. And he didn't tell my husband to guard my heart. And so my husband or my boss, they don't, they cannot know what I need. Mm. That's a responsibility God has given me. And if I don't do it, then not only will I suffer, but ultimately the people around me will suffer. I think an easy way to think about this is physical care. That if I stop taking care of my body and I'm really neglecting my health, yeah, initially I'm the one who's going to suffer, but eventually my entire family will be affected by my choices in that area. And that extends to all areas of, of soul care. That at the end of the day, we haven't really helped anyone and been, you know, unselfish by not caring for our souls we've compromised the very resources we have to pour into other people's lives. It's mm, good. I, I want to close with just asking you if you had any, any last thoughts or last words of encouragement for our listeners in this, um, just what that would be. And, and I want, I want you to be able to close with that, but I want to make sure Paul doesn't have any other pressing questions too real quick before I say that. I've been allowed to chew on already. It's been really great. Yeah. The, um, so yeah, what last, just as a last thought or a last word of encouragement, um, mm -hmm. you know, let's imagine, let's imagine you're sitting down with one of our listeners and, and they've mm -hmm. sought you out and said, you know, yes, I know I need to do this. And, mm -hmm. and you just know, you know, this is the one chance they're opening up and welcoming me to say this. What's what like what's that what's that last thought or that one major encouragement that you give? You know, I, I think my I want to go to let's keep it simple and doable. And I think my word of encouragement is do the next thing. Mm. And so figure out where you are. Use the link the assessment that we'll put on the link to just look over. And, and the, here's what I would love for you to do first. I'd love for them to look that list over and put a big circle around everything they're already doing. And you're going to find out there's, it's not rocket science. There's a lot of stuff on there that you already know and they're probably already doing. And I want you to just do that affirmation to yourself that it, you, you already are doing some things well. And so look for those first. 
And then just ask yourself, what's the next step? What would be just the next thing? And then the other thing is I would just pay attention because this is what I find happens a lot is I get to this point with people and we're ready to take the next step. And then all of a sudden obstacles start coming up hmm. and to just pay attention that um, to those internal things like, oh, this feels selfish or um, I feel you know, bad admitting I have limitations and I can't do everything, or I'm too anxious to say no when people ask me to do things that I feel like I shouldn't be doing. So look for those obstacles and be ready for them and realize that you may have to deal with some of those before you can move forward. But just do the next thing. Don't let it become too big and overwhelming. That would be what I'd say. So good. So good. Well, Brenda, thank you so much. Thank you for not only what you do for all of the the missionaries that are connected with our family of churches, but what you do for so many people to help encourage and instruct in this. And 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 you know, for the listeners out there, I just I hope that you, um, as we engage, as we desire to join Jesus in this movement that He started. Uh, of announcing his kingdom and then embodying his kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I, this disciple making effort, it, it, we, we can get so exhausted, you know, trying to do it on our own. And I think remembering that we do it with Jesus and remembering that even Jesus himself paid attention to soul care. Yeah. Um, and let's make that a priority. So thank you for reminding of that, us of that and for challenging us in that. And, and we really appreciate you and all you do. Thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, in my heart, I believe that the church is to be the gold standard of emotional and spiritual health for our culture. And it is super encouraging me to me to see a church like Brentwood embracing this message and, and really moving it forward. It's awesome stuff. Well, you, you, I hope that you, uh, enjoy i don't know if i don't know if it's raining there it's raining here and it's very cold but <laughs> we got sunshine we're having a beautiful beautiful fall but the sun is out today which is a treat in the northwest that's good stuff well if i were you i would go right now and enjoy a pour over at one of <laughs> I the think coffee i will shops. i think i will <laughs> good stuff well i appreciate you big time and and uh hope to see you again soon all right thank you jason and paul thank you brendan Thank you.